run ahead. <laughs> um, first of all, uh, businesses have goodwill, and goodwill is defined as anything above what all the hard assets, hard assets are worth. Is what is it that sets my business apart? and makes it more valuable than the business next door that does the same thing, right? That's the goodwill portion of my business. There is enterprise goodwill and there's personal goodwill. And how do we divide those two up? Well, enterprise goodwill might be because I got the best employees in the country and I get the best business processes and I've got good systems and I've got a wide customer base. All of those things might lead to enterprise goodwill. Mm -hmm. What's personal goodwill? Well, it's I went and knocked on doors and my name's on the door and it's my reputation on the line. My name is on the trucks. My image is used in our advertising. All of those key relationships came from me. Welcome to AFO Wealth Management Forward, a podcast about finance, accounting, technology, and entrepreneurship. We apply our decades worth of experience and insight into what makes businesses work so we can help others grow both personally and professionally. In this ever-evolving marketplace, we help accounting firms and financial advisors grow their practice through the adoption of holistic wealth management services. Learn from industry leaders and subject matter experts to unlock the secrets of their success. A podcast that shows people and companies the transformative power of technology so they don't fear it, but instead harness it. Don't fight the robots, team up with them. And here are your hosts, Rory Henry, Director of Business Development, and CEO Rob Santos of Arrowroot Family Office. All right. Hello, everyone. We have another great guest joining us today. He is a high net worth planner who advises on tax and wealth transfer solutions, as well as charitable planning strategies. He's the founder of Two Hawks Consulting LLC and Easy Charitable LLC. He's a nationally recognized author and speaker. He's on a mission to help organizations do well by doing good. So without further ado, let me introduce our guest, Randy Fox. Randy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rory. Nice to be here, of course. Yes. Well, you know what we talked before here, and I love the stuff you're doing. Can you give our audience a little bit of background yourself, what you do there at Two Hawks? And then you know, I want you to introduce also the $10 billion uh, charity initiative you're doing. Well, I uh, started life, I didn't start life, but I started uh, my, my second career, my third career as a financial advisor. I had a traditional retail practice starting in the mid-1980s, shows you how old I am. Um, <laughs> you look great, Randy. <laughs> and uh, sort of became disenchanted with the same old, same old. I was always interested in bigger and better things. Our mm -hmm. practice was kind of middle market, upper middle market. And I always uh, imagined myself doing more with high net worth clients. Mm -hmm. didn't have any access to any high net worth clients, didn't know any, had no way <laughs> how to get them. But, but you wanted them. <laughs> but but I, I figured I knew how to plan for them. And so yeah. uh, I started a business with a attorney partner back um, and then... Uh, we started doing work for other advisors around the country and that business morphed and developed and changed. And that's kind of what led to two Hawks consulting. So I'm a, a business to business. I only work with other advisors. I don't have a retail practice. My clients tend to be taxable estates or greater. Uh, although I do a lot of transactional work for clients that are either exiting a business or, uh, you know, have a liquidity event coming at them. 
Yeah. And let's talk about that because you just wrote a great article that was in wealthmanagement.com titled Goodwill Hunting. Uh, you know, I know there's a number of different strategies, but let's talk about um, the goodwill portion here and uh, how you're using that to parse out personal goodwill uh, in the in the exit planning process. Yeah, that's a that's become a very interesting uh, avenue for us just in the last, I want to say three or four years. I think I did my first goodwill case three or four years ago, but then I didn't do another one mm -hmm. for a long period of time. So uh, a couple of places where this is really relevant. Uh, a lot of the businesses that are in transition at this point are baby boomer businesses. I mean, uh, isn't there by 2031, there's 75 million baby boomers going to be retiring and 20, was it, uh, there's, you know, 40% of small businesses or baby boomer businesses. Are you an accountant looking to generate more revenue and secure your future success as automation and artificial intelligence revolutionize the accounting profession? If so, contact us at AFO Wealth Management Forward. We specialize in helping accountants and advisors just like you build a custom brand to pinpoint your optimal clientele, generate highly qualified leads through our data-driven digital marketing, and execute wealth management growth services to bring more value to your firm and your client's life. Our strategic approach to branding, marketing, and wealth management is carefully tailored to attract ideal clients, increase customer retention rates, and cultivate lasting relationships with clients across generations. Visit wealthmanagementforward.com to book your free consultation to find out how you can elevate your practice. Yeah, that's kind of what's happening. And yeah. so that means the business is driven by the founder. The founder yeah. built the business thing, the business from the ground up. Uh, their name's on the door. It might be on the trucks. It could be any of those things. That's, that's kind of one eventuality. The other is uh, a lot of professional practices, mm -hmm. lawyers, doctors, architects, um, where they're personal service type companies. And because their name is often attached to it as well. It's, you know, my medical practice, so right. it's me. Um, and there's some interesting things that happen with those kinds of organizations. If you're a doctor, uh, the only people that can buy into your company are other doctors, right? Mm -hmm. I, I can't buy it because I'm not a doctor. Right. Um, but so much is built on their name and reputation that they have a lot of personal goodwill attached to the business. Well, the thing that most... Um, advisors and uh, practitioners don't understand is that goodwill is a zero basis capital asset. Now, in any company, there's enterprise goodwill and there's personal goodwill. Yeah. Um, we have been very successful of late carving off the personal goodwill of the founder and using that asset as a separate item uh, that the buyer can buy. And if we can do that, then we can do all of the things you can do with any other zero basis capital asset. We could give it to a trust. We can give it to charity and let it be redeemed from the charity. And when we do that, uh, we can do it without capital gains tax and, in fact, can get charitable income tax deductions. And so it gives us flexibility and planning that might not have been available otherwise. Yeah. How do you go about valuing that goodwill is i mean it's the willing <laughs> price the buyer's willing but, to, to pay for it um, well that that that's that's the question that gets asked all the time so first let's just back up a minute yeah. and slow down because i tend to run ahead <laughs> um first of all uh, businesses have 
goodwill and goodwill is defined as anything above what all the hard assets are worth is what is it that sets my business apart and makes it more valuable than the business next door that does the same thing, right? That's the goodwill portion of my business. There is enterprise goodwill and there's personal goodwill. And how do we divide those two up? Well, enterprise goodwill might be because I got the best employees in the country and I get the best business processes and I've got good systems and I've got a wide customer base. All of those things might lead to enterprise goodwill. Mm -hmm. What's personal goodwill? Well, it's I went and knocked on doors and my name's on the door and it's my reputation on the line. My name is on the trucks. My image is used in our advertising. All of those key relationships came from me. So that might be personal goodwill. Now, how do we value that? Well, there's generally two methodologies. One methodology is that we hire an appraiser. Mm -hmm. And the appraiser comes in and says, this is how much we can allocate to personal goodwill. Uh, That will stand up in tax court if it need be. Um, And we do that. 50% of the time. And the other is something that you alluded to, Rory, and that is a willing buyer and a willing seller who are unrelated parties who come to an agreement about allocating a certain amount of personal goodwill. In many of the transactions that we've undertaken just recently, that's been the approach we've used, mostly because we had a time crunch. Mm -hmm. Um, We had buyers that were getting ready to sell, and I mean, ready to sell being in less than 30 (laughs) days. Uh, And when you have less than 30 days, you have to kind of scramble around. But if we can say, okay, Mr. Buyer, we would like to allocate this amount of money to personal goodwill. Buying this doesn't cost you more, but you are going to have to write two checks instead of one. You're going to write one uh, to buy all of the other assets and you're going to write a check for personal goodwill and it might be to a different entity. We haven't designed that entity yet, but that's what we're going to do next. Uh, And that's essentially how it works. Yeah. Now, obviously, you're scrambling jets on a lot of these, and and these sales are happening pretty quickly. What are you advising these business owners as far as, uh, you know, giving you you enough time to, to, you know, develop these plans um, so you can maximize these, these tax savings? Well, you know, in a perfect world, uh, <laughs> which we, you, you, you and I know we don't live in one, right. <laughs> you know, our, our business owners would come to us two or three years yeah. prior to when they were thinking of selling. Okay. I just want to say that never happens. That never happens. <laughs> uh, if we're lucky. Uh, They come to us in the year they're thinking about selling uh, before there's the offer on the table, before there's a letter of intent, before any of those things happen. That sometimes happens. Typically where we get called the emergency, you know, danger, danger is my buyer's got a signed letter of intent. First question, is it binding or is it not? Mm -hmm. (laughs) If it's binding game over, We can't do a thing until after the sale is complete. If it's non-binding, we say, pump the brakes. Uh, We want to add a clause that says we can take our time to do tax planning uh, prior to the sale. uh, And we're not going to forfeit anything if you allow us to do that. So we get that pause pressed. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we start having very 
intense discussions with the seller about what's the business look like? Uh, can we set aside, is there an opportunity for personal goodwill? We have to review all the corporate yeah. documents so that we understand um, one of the deal killers for personal goodwill is some uh, clients sign non-compete clauses with their own businesses, mm -hmm. not sometimes not on purpose, but just in their corporate organizational documents. Right. Uh, all of those things we need to review so that we know we even have an asset that we can talk about. Then we can start to talk about how much and where should it go and why should it go this way instead of that way, and to start to demonstrate and illustrate what the benefits of doing a separate personal goodwill sale might look like. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's sometimes can be a really intense and harried process simply because we often get parachuted in when, you know, <laughs> the buyer's knocking at the door, signing right. letters of intent and wanting to close all of a sudden. Um, so, you know, those in our job, you know, we just have to be flexible and yeah. be able to be thorough and fast at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, and many people's net worth is tied up in their businesses, and not everybody has a financial advisor. I always say that, Randy, uh, but everybody's got to file their taxes. So, uh, I know uh, teaming up with accountants out there, CPAs, you know, how much of this process is really you just you educating them, getting them comfortable with with, with your strategies uh, to start serving their business owner clients. Well, again, I, in uh, two cases I'm working on right now, the cases were brought by CPAs. Yeah. Uh, in one case, this is really interesting, the buyer has brought me in. Uh, we have a client who is selling the assets of a C corporation. Mm -hmm. So they the buyer wants to buy the assets, not the C corp stock. Well, what's that mean? It means that all of those assets are going to be sold by the C corp, which means they'll all be inside the C-Corp subject to not only tax at the C-Corp level, yeah. but then how do we get them out of the C-Corp? Uh, they're going to have to be dividended out. So another tax to the client. And client lives in a very high tax state out east. Uh, it was going to cost the client an extra 30 or 40%. Wow. So he didn't want to come off his price because he realized to net what he wanted to net that he'd have to keep the price high. <laughs> so the buyer actually introduced me to the CPA, introduced our team to the CPA. We've been dealing with the CPA and I floated the idea that, hey, we might want to carve off some personal goodwill. Uh, and if we can get the goodwill is personal, right? It's not right. inside the C-Corp. It's my goodwill. So already we've escaped one level of tax. Now, if we can do something else like get a tax deduction for, for that goodwill that yeah. will offset some of the ordinary income, now we've got a home run for the client. Now the client is looking at, wait a minute, not only do I have no tax on any part of my sale, I'm actually saving some taxes mm -hmm. on some of the money that's going to come out of the corporation later. I'm way ahead of the game. I can come off my high price yeah. and meet these guys in the middle and still walk away with more money. <laughs> it's not how much you sell your business for, it's how much you keep after the taxes and the, the yeah, transaction they, costs, right, Randy? You know, I, I think one of the first things I learned as a financial planner, Rory, was it's not how much you make, it's how much you get to keep. Exactly. You know, that was I started back when the tax brackets were 50% and all of those. It, it, it's the same story today. Yeah. Uh, it It's just more intricate. Yeah. And so are you seeing more and more people uh, start understanding this this goodwill type of strategy, uh, Randy? I would say it's a sleeper. 
Uh, <laughs> I write about it and talk about it. Uh, I don't see it a lot. It's interesting. We just gave a talk uh, to a group of attorneys uh, down in Texas, and there's one guy. So oh, I do that all the time, mm -hmm. but he's the first one I've met who actually said that out loud. Yeah. Uh, normally, when we bring that to the table, it's no one else is talking about it. Uh, yeah. And again, you know, I I only deal on the microcosmic space that I function in, which is somewhat narrow. Uh, but uh, again, just viewing the world as a whole, I don't see a lot of people writing about it. I don't see other uh, other groups talking about it that much. I think it's a great planning um, approach in, yeah. in the right cases. Yeah. Now let's take a step back and you know I want to talk about your charitable you know strategies. I know you have that ten million dollar uh, charitable initiative that you you are working on. What are some of the you know the the tactics or the strategies you're using when you're advising clients on 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 charitable giving? Well, you know I started um, I mentioned in the mid nineteen eighties and and right uh, right after right after I started in my practice, the eighty six tax act pack passed and changed the way we approach planning for taxes for clients. Shortly after that, um, a company in Indianapolis, Renaissance, started training advisors in charitable planning, mostly the charitable remainder yeah. trust. And so I cut my teeth on that, uh, but I realized pretty early on that I was sort of a one-trick pony, right? I knew charitable remainder trust. I didn't know any of the other stuff. And I thought, I got to learn the rest of this. So I set about kind of uh, being an education junkie uh, and put all of the charitable strategies I can learn mm -hmm. in my toolbox. So when it comes to charitable planning, I'm agnostic. What's yeah. the right tool for each situation? Uh, now, in the last several years, because of where the federal midterm rate is, which is a kind of a bellwether of what charitable strategies are uh, useful at given points in time. Uh, I've been doing a lot of work with pooled income funds. Mm -hmm. Pooled income funds have been around since 1969. It's not like they're new, <laughs> uh, but but hardly anybody's using them. And the yeah. reason they're not using them is because they're run by big institutions generally. Mm -hmm. uh, I happen to be fortunate to sit on the board of a charity that offers pooled income funds that are meant for donors and advisors. So mm -hmm. uh, we allow the donor to hire their own money manager. Uh, we allow the advisor to be that money manager. Uh, so, and we, we're not an end user charity. The, the money goes to a donor advised fund, goes to whatever charity the family wants. We run the fund for as long as any member of the family is alive if that's <laughs> important so we can keep money in the family for one two or three generations if that's something the family wants uh, so you know i i do a, a lot of work in the pooled income fund side uh, yeah. a couple of years ago we were doing a lot of charitable lead trust because the 75 20 rate was nice and low and we could run charitable lead trust for 15 years and get 100 percent charitable income tax deduction uh, pretty pretty powerful strategies um and and again i find for our, it, randy i want to take a step back for our audience who are audience members who are not accountants or advisors can you talk about uh how charitable charitable rain and trust work or charitable charitable giving works for high net worth bill gates gives 50 million can you talk about the deduction tax deduction involved with that just a quick well one -on -one. Uh, I, <laughs> uh, again uh, there are a number of ways to give charitably uh, and 
I have found, Rory, and I'm sure you found the same thing, is that most advisors don't talk about philanthropic planning at all. Because <laughs> uh, they're not aligned. <laughs> Assets. <laughs> uh, be mostly because they don't understand how all the tools work. True. And so they don't feel confident and they don't feel comfortable. Uh, interestingly, when U.S. Trust, which is Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, uh, runs their surveys of wealthy individuals, 31% um, of the families interviewed said they would switch advisors. Oh to God. someone who would talk to them about their philanthropy. Now, if I'm an advisor, I call that a marketing plan. I don't know. Yeah. What it sounds pretty good to me. Right. But, but there are a number of different types of trusts out there. Let's talk about a couple. Uh, mm -hmm. There are, they're in the category of split interest trusts, charitable remainder trusts, charitable gift annuities, pooled income funds, our split interest trust whereby the donor gives an asset to charity and retains a stream of income, usually for as long as they're alive. So that's, they give the asset away, but they get to keep the income for their lifetime. So that's one kind of split interest trust. The other kind of split interest trust are reverse of that in some ways, right? called charitable lead charity trust, gets the income. where the charity gets the income for a period of years, and then the asset either comes back to the family, uh, comes back to the giver, or it comes back to a trust for the benefit of the family. Right. Um, both of those are really powerful planning tools in the right facts and circumstances for a client. <clears throat> in the charitable remainder trust pooled income from charitable gift annuity, normally what's given away is a low basis, high gain asset. Mm -hmm. So we have Apple stock that yeah. we we got when we joined Apple and it, we got it for a dollar a share and it's worth, I don't know, what's Apple stock today? $1,400, some big number. And we've got all this capital gain and we don't want to pay the tax because we live in California and tax rates are, you know, enormously high. We can donate some of those shares to a charitable remainder trust or a pooled income fund. We get a charitable income tax deduction. So we save money on our taxes. Uh, and typically, if you're not given cash away, you get a deduction up to 30% of your adjusted gross income. And then when we sell, we pay no capital gains tax. So not only are we saving tax, but we're not paying tax. So that's a double win. And we get to keep the income. Right. You keep the income, you know, you're reallocating money from the government to a charity of your choice, you know, a cause that you're passionate about, and you give more money to your heirs. I mean, it's one of one of the funny things that happens to me almost on a weekly basis. Um, and again, statistically, something like 93.5% of the families in the country give regularly. Mm -hmm. um, business owners give five times more than the rest of the population as a, a, a sector. Yet, I get these calls that say, I've got these people, they're selling the business, and by the way, they're not very charitable. <laughs> So I get the six and a half percent that aren't charitable, but they are charitable. They are. It's just that their charity of choice is either the government taxes. Um, see, what they don't understand is that they have three possible beneficiaries of their assets, right? Their family, charity, or the government. And they have to just pick two. And no one's ever had that conversation with them. So yeah. we get they're not charitable. Their charity is just the government at that point. We don't want to help have them disinherit their family. 
we we don't ever suggest that no one's ever going to do it right we do have them disinherit the government um if they choose and most business owners interestingly enough hate income tax will do whatever is humanly possible <laughs> not to pay income tax sell their business and give all the money back that's yeah. <laughs> Well, they spend so much time during their years of accumulating all this wealth, their business, and trying to save on taxes, and then it doesn't seem like they're planning properly in that exit. It it it's it's happened to me more times than I care to uh, care to talk about that they just don't think about the tax on the exit, and yeah. it makes no sense to me, Rory. It never has. It never will. Yeah. I mean, There's... I love leading with estate planning because I would say it's the family office level of care. You're you're concerned about the the family well-being and making sure that their loved ones are taken care of in case of any unforeseen circumstances. So I think it's a great, great way to lead with financial planning, tax planning opportunities. And then you can start serving, you know, their their family, their extended family, uh, once you take a look at that estate plan. And and I, I have to tell you, uh, and again, this is just from years of experience working with high net worth families, mm -hmm. their estate plans are not in order. I think right. I, I think that we as financial advisors and even as CPAs are somewhat intimidated by wealth. And so we think that because someone's smart enough to accumulate 40 <laughs> or $50 million, that they, they got their house in order. <laughs> and I have to tell you that I've read the worst estate plans from the wealthiest people. Uh, they don't even know they're bad. Yeah. Um, uh, we see just tragic stuff that yeah. if it's not fixed, Michael Shay, you know, didn't have an updated state plan. Um, Robin Williams just had went through through issues with uh, with his estate plan because he didn't Prince. specify. Yeah. <laughs> Prince Aretha Franklin. Prince Aretha Franklin. <laughs> uh, but but even the guy who runs the business down the street that you think is so successful and has got his act together uh, is a mess, probably. And it's mostly because they don't have anybody around them yeah. advising them. If you look at the typical business owner or real estate owner, Rory, you know, typically they don't have a lot of money to manage because right. Right? all their money is in their business. Yeah. So no one's really gotten to them. And, the, yep. you know, they buy insurance from the guy who they play golf with. <laughs> right. They're just trying to get rid of them. <laughs> and the CPA is the guy who helped them start the business 25 years ago. Yeah. And the lawyer is the guy who wrote the foundational documents and right. wrote them the living trust when the kids are born. And nothing's been updated in 25 years. <laughs> I, 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 I'm with you there, Randy. Um, you know, and then why, because, you know, most of our audiences, CPAs, accountants out there, why, why do you say that they're uniquely positioned to start helping quarterback these efforts with these business owners? Well, from what I know and have seen, and my own experience tells me that the business owners rely on their CPA yeah. more than they rely on everybody. Now, some of that's a function of they have to, because they have to file their taxes every year and their taxes have to be right every year. Right. Uh, and they keep, you know, they tend to create lots of different entities that have different uh, tax reporting structures. Uh, and so they've, they come to know and trust the CPA regularly. Their attorney, you know, they may see them once every five years to right. update the corporate minute book. Uh, I touch. Their financial guy, you know, they do an IRA or they yep. put some money in a qualified plan, but that's kind of it. So the CPA is their main point of contact and the CPA knows kind of the inner workings of the business about as well as anybody. Yeah. I always um, say they have the intimate knowledge of the business. 
Yeah, they know more than anybody. So yeah. they're going to listen to their CPA. And if their CPA says, listen, you sh really should consider this, at least they'll get their attention. Yeah, great. All right. Do you want to touch on anything else uh, for our audience here, Randy? Anything I, I missed? Uh, you know, Rory, I, I think that's a that's a fire hose we're giving them to <laughs> yeah, drink out a fire of. hose. <laughs> if they want to learn more or get in touch with it, Randy, what's the best way uh, for them to do uh, so? You know, my website is twohawksconsulting.com. I'm randy at twohawksconsulting.com. Um, uh, I'm I'm pretty easy to find. Yeah. Try not to hide too badly. <laughs> Great. Well, I really, really appreciate you coming on the show here, Randy, and we hope to have you back uh, on again in the future. Thanks so much, Roy. It's great to be here. Thanks. Appreciate the invite. Yeah. All opinions expressed by Rob Santos and Rory Henry on this website podcast interview are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Arrowroot Family Office LLC or their parent company or affiliates, and they have been previously disseminated on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by anyone as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of their opinions. Past performance is not indicative of future results.